All right, we're live. We are here in studio with Pastor Jesse Galindo and Pastor Julio May. And Brother Galindo is from here in Durham with us. Did a great job out in Red Bluff in California and was here for many years. And Pastor May, Pastor's Dynamic Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Very special place near and dear to my heart. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Honored to be here. Absolutely. You guys did a Spanish podcast yesterday, didn't you? We did. Yeah, we did. And the ladies did one also. So there's two coming upcoming episodes. I am very excited about Biblos Spanish. Yeah. It's exciting. It is. Everybody needs to hear about Jesus. Yes, sir. And tackle the topics in a way that they can relate to it in this format. Correct. We used to sing, everybody ought to know. Everybody ought to know. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. Do you know the background of that story? I heard about it. G.T. Haywood. G.T. Haywood. Tell us. But tell us. So G.T. Haywood, who was a black man, and my great-grandfather, Andrew Urshan, who was a Middle Eastern immigrant, spoke with a pretty heavy accent. They connected. They connected early on in Pentecost, and they loved one another, were very dear friends. I'll tell you another story about that when this is done. But they were so severely persecuted by the assemblies of God. Even now, the assemblies of God view them as heretics. Wow. Because they explicitly reject the Trinitarian message, and they did. And so they helped spearhead, were part of a group of people that helped spearhead an exodus from the assembly of God to form one God Pentecostals or oneness Pentecostals. And it caused a huge stir mm. in the world of Pentecostalism. So in one of those, um, I don't want to call it a tribunal, but one of those gatherings where they were meeting to dispute and to flesh out what they believed, what they didn't believe, what terminology. It finally got to the point where it was obvious that Trinitarian language and oneness language were not going to be compatible. One had its roots in tritheism uh, and leaned towards it, even if they tried to hang on to the one God moniker. Right. And the other is founded in Deuteronomy 6.4. Right. And so the Assembly of God minister, I, the name runs from me, I'm sure some of my family could tell me, but he got up and said, brethren, and this, this is his whole group, this big assembly that is all largely white. Mm. And here's this. That's interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, we're going to talk about yeah. that. <laughs> um, and here's Brother Haywood. He was young, very young. People don't realize how young he was. You know, he was only 50, like 52 when he died. Wow. Yeah, people don't realize. He, that man impacted the world. Short time. In a short period of time. I and so he's there by himself uh, facing this overwhelming superiority. Uh, and, and the people are largely from the white Anglo-Saxon background. Um, I think they call them wasps, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Is that Protestant, what they call them? Yeah. So the man from the Assembly of God basically said, brethren, we know that this doctrine is not true. It's not real. It's not valid. We we wow. fully reject it. And, and then he kind of he kind of said tongue in cheek. He kind of chuckled. 
he said, the truth is, it's just a bunch of hay, wood, and stubble. No. Yeah, see what he did there? Yeah. <laughs> and and like this laughter rippled through the building, and it was, they were mocking man, oh man. G.T. Haywood. And so, I mean, the, the moment was just scripted. And I don't know how much of this was embellished over the years, but in my mind's eye, yeah, man, it's, it's, nice. this, it's this buildup. And they said, Brother Haywood, what do you have to say to that? And this is the legend that he sat there for a moment. And then he said, everybody ought to know. No way. Everybody ought to know. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. And then he launches into, he's the lily of the valley. That's amazing. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that wow. neat? It is. Man makes me want to run the aisles. Yeah, man. It was probably a lot more mundane than that, but I'm not letting go of that story. I like. <laughs> no, no, I like the flavor to it. Yeah, good deal. Uh, one thing you mentioned, and uh, I, not to grind axes, but uh, the 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 viewpoint, I guess, from his 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 perspective uh, of superiority. You know, mm. so the I guess I the term I would have used would have been majority, but. Yeah. I think that there is a there was a sense in that epoch of, you know, not was it just a majority, it was a superiority. Like you're 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 not just in the minority, you are less than. Less than, yeah. yeah. That that was something they fought through, and that was one of the legacies of, of Bishop Haywood. You know, that I saw a picture of his church from the 1930s. You know, they used to take those pictures and they would congregational pictures. Yeah, yeah they bring them out in front of the church. Mm-hmm and they would line them all up, and there would be the whole church in front of the, the building, mm-hmm. and the pastor would be in the front, and he'd have his Bible tucked right. up under his arm. Well, there's Brother Haywood right in front of all these people, and it was 50-50, white and black. No way. Wow. Farmers in overalls. You know, you, I'm expecting a pitchfork, you know, <laughs> to be there next to him, but it was 50-50, white and black, in the late 20s, mm-hmm. early 30s. Now, that's And it was like 1,000 people. Yeah. Wow. In the Indian generation. Yeah. yeah. So that's before Rosa Parks. Yeah. That was in time before when laws about marrying interracial marriage were forbidden. Yeah. It's crazy. So I wonder if people realize the ethnic heritage that the apostolic, the oneness apostolic world springs from. Mm. Just in my great grandfather and G.T. Haywood, and there's a host of many others from a lot of other different cultures. Sure. You know, German and. What not Polish? A lot of a lot of diversity, and that's actually what I want to talk about today was was the ability to minister in a diverse world. We're dealing with wokeness. Mm. We're dealing with very charged conversations. So, both of you are involved heavily in ministering in the Hispanic community. And we had a talk, Brother May, we had a talk in Jerusalem together where, I mean, you had a perspective on different cultures and how they come together and the challenges they face. So you've had to tackle a lot of this. Yeah, it's been very um, interesting for me, especially being from the Northeast in the the United States and uh, coming from a city, well, in 
my our opinion, uh, there's New York and not New York in the United States. That's all there exists. <laughs> um, but that being said, you you the life in New York, the biggest melting pot, I would say, almost on the planet. Um, and then coming to church um, was was a very shock. And to see that uh, within church, well, where we came in church uh, was in a little town in Clarksville, Tennessee. And it was a military town. My dad had uh, served, was serving in the military at the time. So uh, I was always raised, aside from the New York background, then I'm traveling around the world as a quote-unquote military brat. So I'm always around different types of people. My neighbors upstairs, they're, they, they were black. Neighbors across from the hallway, they were Korean. Neighbors downstairs, they were white. I mean, everyone just lived together and in a sense of community, uh, having the military as the, the common banner. And, and during that time, I never really realized that I was different. I didn't know I was different. I didn't pick up on that. My family in and of itself is very diverse. or uh, So I never did notice a difference until coming to church. And, um, and I say that wasn't right away, like not because I saw the group of people in our congregation, that little small church. Uh, because it was a military base, we had everything I just mentioned. We had Korean, we had German, we had black, we had white, we had, you know, Hispanic, Asian. It was just a, a, a mixture of people, but it was a small group of people. But I've noticed in the comments that were made, that was where the change came. And um, so I had to learn, you know, first of all, the worldview of me is different from what my worldview is. Uh, so that was one thing I had to accept the fact because people would ask the question, what, what are you? And um, I just thought, you know, male would suffice, but I guess that did not suffice. So, did not. Yeah, yeah. What are you? Um, so... You know, I, I don't know. My dad's from Colombia. My mother's from Panama. Oh, uh, so so what is that? Um, you know, so you're having to a- answer these kind of questions. And then within the black community, it wasn't really accepted because I was a little different. You know, it's like, okay, your hair is different. You, you're not black. So you weren't black enough or you just weren't black? No, I wasn't. I wasn't black. They didn't say I was, they didn't think I was black. Okay. And so, of course, no one thought I was white. So I never had that, that problem to deal with. Um, <laughs> so do you even exist? <laughs> right. Yeah. Because if you don't fall in those parameters that yeah. people have made for you. Exactly. So the, they, they couldn't put me in a box or, or put me into a, a place to, you know, this is who you are. Uh, within the Hispanic community, depending. In, in New York, it wasn't a deal. But uh, getting into the South is a little different because a lot of people had migrated from Mexico and some other countries in, cent- in Central America where there was not anyone that looked like me that they can identify with. So. It was like, okay, who is this guy? What is this guy? I know people from a, the, we would, some would call it the white community, but it's hard to do that because there, I know I realize it's Anglo-Saxon, but within the white community, there's so many cultures. Definitely. But people that are classically considered white wouldn't even, many of them would not appreciate the distinction between Panamanian and Colombian. Right. They would say, ah, it's Spanish. Yeah. yeah. And... No clue that two Hispanic people, they can be worlds apart. Definitely. You got to wrestle with that. You know, one of the interesting things, and he was talking about that, is I didn't come to a realization uh, 
it's funny, Brother May and I both came from military backgrounds where all you saw was different people. I mean, but you never saw them by their color. You always saw them as just neighborhood kids. And it wasn't until even in the, when I got in church, I got in church in a military town. So the church was very, very, every race, every ethnicity, every, just a ton of different languages. And it wasn't until I met my wife and I went to her church where she was from. And it was a rural area, big, good-sized church, 350 people maybe. They were all white. And I walked in and I was like, Get down. Yeah, I mean, it was like, <laughs> I look, I, I, they looked at me and I looked at them like, I, because I didn't have that perspective. I just looked at them and they just, I might as well have come off of another planet. And it didn't dawn on me until I'm 21 years old. Everybody doesn't see the world the way I do. Right. And that freaked me out. Yeah. Because automatically, based upon the fact, and it gets to your point, that my skin color and my hair color is different and my complexion's different, judgments are made. Yeah. And yet I was raised in the United States. I was born in the United States. Uh, I was raised around Koreans, Chinese of descent, um, Swedish descent, just a multitude. And yet because of a, of a skin color, uh, there's an assumption already made mm. that I do this for a living and that I have this type of character. And all of those judgments were made right off the top just by me walking into a church of, in an area of people that did not have that mix. So that's the definition of prejudice. Absolutely. And, and that literally to mean to prejudge. Yes. Correct. To judge beforehand. Yes. Which uh, is, is a common human flaw. You know, that, that uh, I, I, I wouldn't say that there's one people group that doesn't have that. Right. Yeah. You know, um, and I've been around enough groups to hear the same comments. Doesn't matter who they are. Oh, they all look alike. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've heard that in so many different people groups to say that about another people group, that it's amazing how that we all have that commonality of viewing the world if your world view has been limited. Yeah. You know, you, you're not, you haven't been, I guess, exposed or you haven't been out of your, I guess, your neighborhood, if I could say it like that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because humanity always tries to categorize or organize and maybe try to, in, that, in doing that, they make sense of, 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 of people, groups of people or things that are different. Uh, the problem is when you do that, you don't take the individual into consideration, their talents, their abilities. You're always just group thinking this is what these people are because of a language or this is what they are because of a skin color and humanity always does that that's what happened you know as a result of the tower but the kingdom always goes beyond that in that it brings everybody together despite complexion color and gives everybody equal status equal yeah. standing well i have contended and I, I actually believe this is one of the more contentious issues. And I, I don't like just tackling contentious issues. But when you're living in a generation where kids are asking, what does this mean? Why are we like this? Why don't we do this? Why do we do this? They're looking for answers. Yeah, they're looking for answers. And so one of the reasons I think this is so contentious and it's so volatile is it is of Babylon. And here's what I mean by that. You know, we're talking about this from a societal perspective and from a personal relational perspective, but from a biblical worldview, we see one of the first divisions 
along uh, a people group's lines at Babel. Mm -hmm. Babel being the root of Babylon, to speak confusedly. God confuses the languages of men. He, he, he breaks up their continuity. You know, he says the people is one, and this they begin to do. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what people can do when they come together Correct. with a common focus and a common theme, and the problem was God wasn't in it. Yeah. So God right. breaks them up, and literally when you are trying to bring people back together, you are fighting a curse. Mm. Hmm. It is a curse that God placed in the earth on sinful man. Mm-hmm. And so I believe this, that that the very strong emotions and the, the race baiting and all of the volatility, you cannot solve it with legislation. You can't solve it with policies. You can't solve it with new governmental programs. You, the only way I believe you can solve it is Pentecost. <clears throat> and here, here's how I see it. At Babel, he splits the language to divide them. And at Pentecost, he unites the language when they speak with other tongues on the day of Pentecost and they come, the Bible takes great pains to show all the nations that they come from. And, right. and the Bible says they right. come from the north, south, east, and west to Jerusalem. And um, we talked about this yesterday, that a river would flow forth from the temple. Well, uh, the strong case can be made that that river was the Holy Ghost that mm-hmm. would go out into the world and people would come from all over the world. And, and so God reunites humanity in Pentecost. So Pentecost is the antidote. So it's not legislation. It is Pentecost. And it's the only thing that can break it. So I think the Pentecostal church, the apostolic Pentecostal church is the greatest institution to fight societies. Oh, I, I concur. The, what the United Nations has not been able to, to uh, <clears throat> accomplish, the Lord did on Pentecost. I mean, bringing everyone uh, together um, into one body, you know, one spirit, one Lord, one, one, one faith, one baptism. Uh, the church is the most powerful organism on the planet, period. Um, and so that is what uh, is, was the oxymoron or the, the contrast, if I should say, when I got to church and I realized I was considered different. I went to youth camp in, in Tennessee, first youth camp, and, um, you know, it was about 300 young people, and uh, I was only the one there with the tan. So uh, it was... Uh, <laughs> It would, but you know that never, like like uh, Pastor Glendo said, that never affected me because who cares? I mean, that's not a my identity goes beyond beyond that. So, anyways, we were having a good time, and somehow they found out that it was my birthday, and um, so this is going on. And uh, during lunch, you know, we all get together in the cafeteria, and then they would uh, pray. Someone would pray, and then would go through the line. Well. After the prayer, someone started singing happy birthday. And everyone started looking at me. And I'm like, wow, how did they figure it out? And so they're singing happy birthday to you. And they said, happy birthday, dear Buckwheat. Happy birthday to you. (laughs) Well, you know, for me, for me, I mean, okay, that's a good one. You know, that was funny. That's good. Because I've always, you know, you grow up and you're always, you know, what they say, snapping, cracking, whatever. You're always, you know, blasting somebody. So it was funny. You know, I, I laughed. Not really understanding that if I was sensitive to that, yeah. if I was of a different mindset, if I felt at all inferior or intimidated, it could have it cut off my, mm-hmm. my lifeline to God because of um, I, got a, I would get offended, yeah. which that's a whole other subject. But, you know, 
uh, thank the Lord that I just said, man, that, 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 that was pretty funny. That was a good one. And I, I laughed at it and moved on. But it's something that I remember to this day simply because um, the worldview and how things were signed. And I remember that I had, it came to a point in my life because I was, I was always asked the question, like, what are you? What are you? Uh, we had a youth uh, banquet deal that was going on and I was going to invite a young lady to go and and uh, went to the pastor's office to make sure, hey, pastor, I'm wanting to ask this young lady to go to the youth banquet. There's another brother in the pastor's office and he said, you know what, Brother Julio, you need to stick with your own kind. Mm. Wow. And so um, <clears throat> so I'm like, okay, so explain that. Am I supposed to find someone who has a Colombian father and a Panamanian mother? Mm. And what, what, are the, what are the chances of that? I mean, yeah. how many people in the world did this? I mean, how am I going to do that? And uh, he said, well, you know what I mean. Not really. No, no, I don't. <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't push the point. You know, I was taught to respect, and I, I left it at that. The interesting thing is that this gentleman was was uh, Anglo, but his wife was Korean. So I'm I'm trying to understand what what are yeah. you what are you saying? What kinds are we talking about? Yeah. And which <laughs> which kinds are off limits, and which kinds work? Correct. So those are the type of things that um, that I was introduced to in the church that I did not have to face when I was not in church. That was wow. like a non-issue yeah, yeah. Yeah. until I got to church. But I remember when I had to make up in my mind, you know what? Um, I, I'm none of these things that people want, wanted to make me be, but God, I want to embrace what you've made me to be. And I've understood that by God's grace, I've been able to be around so many different types of people. And I, I know this could be misunderstood, and so I'm not, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but God allowed me to live in a uh, diversity of places, being around a diversified group of people, coming from a diversified family, that I can reach a diversified world. And um, I, I believe that it's bis- it's a blessing. In the beginning, I didn't see it like that. I was like, yeah. okay, what, why me? Why is this happening? But I remember the day when I, when I embraced, um, okay, I, I don't understand all the nuances and I don't know why I'm considered the man with leprosy in the youth group. And I don't know why, you know, all these things are happening, but, you know, it is what it is. And, um, God, I'm trusting you, and I'm just going to go through the process. And it helped me to be able to um, just to be comfortable in my own skin. And because of that, I would be around people, and they'll say, I mean, you know what, you don't, you don't act black. Uh, I'm so, and again, you know, what, what does that mean? Um, and then the other thing was, well, uh, well, then what are you? And I, I, I said, look, what do you think I am? And they would say, well, you, you look black. Okay, well, then I'm black. I mean, in, in other words, that part of my shell that you're so intrigued about, uh, you're wanting to identify, is really not that important to me. Um, it's a part of my makeup. It's a part of my, my persona. But it's not the whole encompassing part of who I am. Well, here's how volatile we're talking. The subject we're talking about is um, when we, we referenced this a little earlier before the cameras were rolling where Moses marries an Ethiopian woman. Hmm. Numbers 12, 11, 12. 12, yes. He marries an Ethiopian woman and the Bible says that Aaron and Miriam withstood him 
because he married an Ethiopian woman. And then the Bible repeats it. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. Right. <laughs> I mean, God was very serious about getting the point across. Takes great pains to identify that. Yeah. So Grandpa Urshan always taught that that was a, a forerunner to racial turmoil and mm. how that God's kingdom was always a universal kingdom. Always. He created all mankind. And the scripture is filled with it that, that there would be a name raised among the Gentiles. And in that name would the Gentiles trust. He would raise an ensign unto the nations, and, the, and it goes down through all the list of all the nations that would come. Pentecost is the perfect example of it. You know, Cornelius's house, the Italians, the Samaritans, the Ethiopian man right. yes. of Acts chapter 8. And so Miriam, when the story's all done, you know, they, they, they accuse Moses, hey, you're not the only one that can hear from God. We hear from God too, and God shows up. So there's not many times where God himself makes an appearance. Right. God comes down, overshadows them, and says, I speak to some people in dreams and visions and similitudes, mm -hmm. but to my friend Moses, I speak face to face. God was so serious about reaching people that he came down to handle business himself. He didn't yes, delegate sir. it. It was no Gabriel flight floating in. This was God. And he smites Miriam with leprosy. And I believe that people who resist God's worldwide purpose, his universal purpose of reaching all people. And I think that reaching includes creating leaders. It, it includes marriage but with everybody, with who they love, within the kingdom of God. Correct. And um, some of our greatest leaders come from. G.T. Haywood and A.D. Urshan were both minorities by today's definition. Mm -hmm. Correct. And God was so serious that he smote her with leprosy. Moses intercedes, God heals her, and God makes her stand outside the camp for seven days to give a lot of thought to this. You know, and, and one of the reasons they would quarantine them that way was to, that they could make sure that the infection was not there anymore. So God even views it as an infection. Mm. The infection that has afflicted the body of Christ we, we've, we've made Old Testament reference, but you go to the day of Pentecost where all of these people who knew Scripture, who understood, are watching this unfold, and their words are, aren't these Galileans? What meaneth this? We hear them speak in yeah. our own language. Yeah. Even they couldn't grasp it. So that there's always going to be this tension between humanity and the church culture, the church kingdom. And I think one of the things that frustrates people is that God is always going to bring down his kingdom onto this earth. And God's going to use people that understand what we're talking about, who don't get bound up in, you know, we have to have this type or this type or that. There's always going to be this war, what meaneth this? Yeah. And living in the South, it's probably more prevalent or more predominant because of that. Yeah. And yet all of us and our flavorings and our and our upbringings bring something to the kingdom that creates this great speckled bird. The great speckled yeah, bird. The great, so yeah. Yeah, we need to sing that. Yeah, yeah. I'll let I'll let you all <laughs> sing. <laughs> we'll yeah. we'll step I'll, back and let yeah, that happen. delegate that. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I have mentioned this previously that. I, I have felt that race is a social construct. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no kinds here. There's humans. Mm -hmm. 
God made him after. God made him after his image. Yep. Made in the image of God. And to say that there's kinds is to separate them into artificial divisions. And this, you know... Or species, yeah. That's... Yeah. So the idea of race, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about that. It does talk about kindred and people that are like unto, but it doesn't mean separate species. And it's not been all that long ago that people had to overcome that in society or try to, but the idea of race, there's a lot of people that have pointed out that it implies a winner and a loser. And it actually is a Darwinian construct Many people feel that. Some people disagree, but many people, I tend to agree with them, that that the idea that Charles Darwin came up with was there's white moths and there's there's dark moths, and you put those moths on a tree, and the dark moths blend in, the white moths stand out, so birds eat the white moths. Mm. Dark moths survive, pass their genes along, and that's survival of the fittest. That's mm. a race, and the one that wins that race is the one who is... Yeah, it's natural selection. It's the winner, genetically speaking. And so, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't take into consideration the the broad texture and picture and socio-cultural dynamics, but the seed idea is of a winner and a loser. I am faster than you. I survived. I am better. I am superior. Um, and... That's one of the reasons I like the story of Jesse Owens in World War II and Hitler. And and here's this little dark-skinned guy, Jesse Owens, who is out there. And here's this Aryan supremacy of of Adolf Hitler. And he's going to show the world that uh, the final solution is is the answer. And, and all of the fascist ideologies are on display in a... It's, it's right here on the world stage. All the cameras are trained here. They have plenty of footage. They got the camera trained on Adolf in the stand. Yeah. And here's little Jesse Owens down there, and he blows everybody's doors off. And so much for uh, your supremacy idea. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a race. Yeah. Okay. People make billions of dollars off of this, of holding people and keeping, yes. keeping them at war and fighting with. Oh, definitely. Them. Oh, yeah. industries. Definitely. Built on this. I, I I concur with that so much. You know, there to me a lot of lobbyists and groups would not don't want a solution because once there's a solution, they lose their job. Yeah, we're out of a job. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, um, way back when, and I, I refer to this often. Way back when, I think I think President Bush was in just became president, uh, so that was a while ago. Um, the the second Bush, not the first one. Uh, but there was a, a organization, a organized movement to, for the Latino community to become, you know, we are we are citizens. We need to be treated. We need equal rights, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and again, I know I could be blasted for this, but I'm okay with it. Both of my parents immigrated to the United States. Both of my parents, my mother never became a United States citizen. So, it it is what it is. Um, so what happens is that they organize these group of people and they have them carry their flags from their country of origin and saying, chanting in Spanish, we're here, we're staying, and if you send us back, we're coming back. 
And I remember having to tell our congregation, we're not buying into that philosophy. We're not buying into that. So here, you're Hispanic culture. Right. People from many backgrounds. Right. And you will not get involved. Yeah. So we're not not doing that. We're not embracing that. That is incorrect. Right. And I had to tell them that, that that is not how you get things done. Now, if they would have gave everyone an American flag and have everybody sing, this land is your land, this land is my land in broken English. Or, you know, God bless America. Wow. We would not be having immigration issues today. It would have been done. There's not an American that's hearing my voice that would say, hey, you know what? Hey, let's give them an opportunity. There'll be another Reagan amnesty. It would have been done. Mm. But, you know, we're trying. You, you don't show up to somebody's house and barge in and say, you know what? You, you need to give me something to eat. You know what? You're about to have some lead poisoning right yeah. now because <laughs> this is my house. <laughs> so I can't go to Mexico and say, you know what, I'm going to be here. And you can, it's not happening. I can't buy land in Mexico. I, none of those things could happen. And I can say, well, I'm, 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 so Hispano. It doesn't matter. You're not Mexican and you can't own property in Mexico. You can, so the audacity to think that I'm going to try to do that here is, yeah. is, is, was so bogus, so wrong. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm sure there are, there are others that may know some more of the nuances behind it, but I just feel like the overall push and thrust to to force someone's hand was incorrect. Yeah, I believe if it was it was asked if it was um, it was if it was approached differently, it would have been different. Now I've heard a lot of uh, talk heads talk about you know Ellis Island. Well, Ellis Island that's not that's not a a proper parallel. There's no Ellis Island. There's no None of that can happen anymore. That it's such a long process to become. Oh yeah. Or to get a visa or any of that stuff. So if you've ever dealt with the INS, right? My goodness. Yeah, yeah. So that that's not. I'm not saying that. Well, what I'm saying is that when that moment happened, and however you got here, you're here. If you if there was the right leadership to help these people say, you know what? Yes, I want to be here. I want to be an American. I want to live here. If it was properly uh, organized, this would have been a done issue. It would yeah. have been over. Yeah. It would have happened. I, I really feel like at that particular epoch, there was so many people that were in favor that it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been a problem. So we see this in the story of Jacob and Laban, mm-hmm. where Laban has one kind of sheep, one kind of cattle, and... He will not give Jacob any purchase. He won't let him create his own flock. And so Jacob comes up with a plan. He says, okay, is there any way that I can keep the different kind of cattle? And the Bible calls it the speckled, the ring-straked, the mottled. And it's a way of saying the genetic uh, difference. Um. The diversity. Diversity, yeah. And Laban says, eh, yeah, fine. And you see in that agreement how little he thinks of different different types. Pushes them off. Yeah, he does. He marginalizes them. And so Jacob, and this story is such an odd story because Jacob then takes these rods and he, he makes them multicolored. And he sets them in front of them at the, at the feeding trough, at the watering trough. And when the cattle see them, they reproduce 
with diversity. So what's that mean? Well, let's just jump into the, 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 the metaphor here. I believe we have to keep diversity in front of our people. We have to keep reaching all people, reach all cattle. God's church is all cattle. So all you ring-straked and speckled and mottled, <laughs> welcome to the kingdom of God. Right. We're glad you're here. That's what Pentecost is all about. Because to not do that, to not do that is to create levels in people's thinkings because you create an echo chamber of everybody hearing the same thing. Mm. And then what that creates is a kind of a superiority complex who's prospering more. And then you get into these things. What comes with that is the culture. Which culture is better? Yeah. That's why the kingdom culture is so much higher. And when you begin to challenge this, you get kicked in the face or you get mud thrown at you or you get uh, criticized. I just had a guy call me woke. Yeah. I'm the anti-woke. Uh-huh. Are we Are we woke? Are you woke? I'm not woke yet. I'm not, no. <laughs> I got the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Now that's different. Yeah. I mean, well, the Bible says, awake thou that sleepest and Christ will give thee life. So there you go. But the criticism is fierce. It, and, and it challenges, and that that criticism tells you their basis of thinking. Yeah. It is their loci, their locus of, of, of thought of, of, of that I've got to hold on to this. No, no, I'm telling you, let go of it. And get into the kingdom culture where God kingdom can, in, where as an individual you can explore and not base your progress or your or your status in life based upon the person next to you because their skin color is this or this their language is this. But I, as an individual, can walk out what God wants for me, and I can do that and still walk within my culture and 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 and, and smile and laugh and love and eat the great food of our culture and then go into the kingdom but not bow to my, or genuflect to my culture. So you can subordinate your human culture to the kingdom, to the kingdom culture. Well, you have to. Yeah. So I've always wanted to know, guys, tell me what's the deal at your birthdays when the person leans over to blow their candles out and they go poof and they shove their face in the cake. What? Mordida. <laughs> yeah, so they, yeah, they, they want you to bite the cake. What? Well, that's the, that's the, that's the, the, the desire. But then, of course, there's always that one person that's mischievous. <laughs> yes. And uh, they're they're wanting to take advantage of the moment. They were yeah. wanting to do that to me the other night. Yeah. Oh. I told them, yeah, no, no bueno, no, no. I'll, no. I'll have a substitute <laughs> sacrifice this tonight. <laughs> but but I believe that that is that is predominantly. Well, I growing up, I never had that experience. Um, so which I'm thankful because you know we would have been throwing hands because <laughs> it's not introducing yeah, to another yeah. culture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't home. We don't play that. But anyways. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's neat to see within the church that the, each each group has those moments that, yes, we recognize your ethnicity. We recognize who you are as a person. But that that always, as you said, always has to is subordinate to God's culture, kingdom culture. And um, that should never be the 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 predominant uh, factor. No one's no one is subscribing to ignore who you are. We're all we're right. all like non right. entities. Yes, we are human beings and yes yeah. we do have a a genetic pool, but that is just only a, a portion of who we are. Once we come to God, we we become a part of the body of Christ, which is is if we can use the term superior than the old Adamic nature. That's it. And that's the deal. I have no trouble with people of different skin colors marrying. I have a problem 
with children of God marrying with people who don't yeah, submit right. to God's purpose. Right. Now that's a problem. A that problem. is a problem. And so kingdom now, and you know, people I want to ask about interracial marriage, but a little earlier somebody made the statement. I liked it. How about it's just marriage? Yeah. Right. Right. So here's the kingdom: honesty, integrity, faithfulness, love, hope, um, and all the offshoots that come from the fruit of the spirit: patience, long suffering. Gentleness, meekness, temperance. When someone has that, a new creature status. A new creature. I don't care if your skin is one shade or another shade. That is someone that is exhibiting the traits of of God. Right. And that marriage will work. Right. Now, if you're bound by your earthly culture and and you are you have not conformed to the heavenly image. Well, you're going to have problems. Definitely. It's not a skin color problem. It's a culture problem. Mm. And you're letting a temporal frame possibly direct your eternal destination or calling or ministry or whatever that is that God wants you to do. I would say hijack. Yeah, hijack. There you go. There you <laughs> yeah. go. Because you're, you're, you're impeding God's plan in your life to go forward because of this earthly frame. You know, It's a temporal thing that's going to go in a box You know what I mean? that people are going to have pictures of. Yeah. But three or four generations down the road, mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about eternity versus uh, bowing to something that's uh, that's really has a shelf life. Yeah, right. Yeah, my my great grandfather Samuel May. I, I didn't even know this story till as I, I became an adult, but uh, my great grandfather Samuel May is Irish, so I'm black Irish. No, <laughs> anyways, he's Irish and. <laughs> But the deal is, is that if you see a picture of him um, and a picture of me, there's no way in the world you say these two people are related. You need to start saying, top of the morning to you. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the, the point is, is that uh, we cannot allow ourselves to be constra- constrained to the, the, the earthly, the, the, the temporal when God's kingdom is so much greater. And that's why people, you know, they balk over and they're trying to find out, was Jesus, you know, was he black? Was he white? I mean, does that even matter? That's not the focus. That's not the point. The point is, is that he came that you and I might have life and that we could have it more abundantly. And he came to seek and to save that which was lost, regardless of your background. He took time to go to the well. I must needs go through Samaria because there's somebody that I got to talk to her. It's amazing. That is amazing. You know, I um, went to Chicago back in October 2018, somewhere like that, uh, for a class. And one of the classes we had to do, go to, uh, it was an intercultural class, and we had to go to St. Sabinus. And they're famous because years ago, uh, in the early 90s, they had a, um, the Little Black Children of Chicago, it was an album. Mm-hmm. And it had a big black Jesus holding out his hands, and it was a picture of a bunch of black children. And I always thought that was unique. I thought, hmm. Well, we went to St. Sabina, and that was the picture on the back of the back of the altar. That was that big black Jesus with an afro holding his black children. I thought, there it is. Yeah. Out walks Father Flager. Okay. A white priest. And there is this theology amongst them. Um, 
And this is where you get into that situation where you personalize, is Jesus black? Yeah. Is he white? Come on now. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if we really found, and what happens is when you empower that theology, then you only reach for certain people. Well, it's man making God in his image. Right. And they go to Revelation 1, where he had hair like wool, his eyes were flame, yeah. uh, feet like brass. Yeah. And they want to try to take that and hyper-literalize it into a social construct that fits their narrative. Right. Um, but the odds are strongly in favor of Jesus being um, shorter stature, uh, olive complexion, mm-hmm. dark eyes, like many, many, many Hebrews before him, yeah. a Semitic people. Yeah. That were that were that was in ancient Palestine at that time. He was not. He didn't stand out. He wasn't some Superman. He was a Middle Eastern Semitic guy. Yeah. guy. Yeah, the Son of God walking Earth. Um. <laughs> the the air goes out of the room sometimes when you talk about some of these topics. And so what happens is new generations say, "Well, what are we supposed to do?" You know, I've got all these ideas about about. This is better than that, or we can't do this, we can't do that. But in the kingdom of God, when people are submitted to that kingdom and the culture, the kingdom culture, right. you can have complete confidence in that. I know people from every walk of life, from every background, that when they get the Acts 238 experience, yes. they change, they turn into a new creature yes. in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Definitely. Behold... Behold, I like that word behold. It means to look upon, to gaze upon, pay attention to, or in Mississippi, they'd say, uh, look at here. <laughs> behold, all look things here. are new. They're yes, made sir. new. Um, so, yeah. You know, that that might be the uh, the thermometer or the gauge with where your thinking is in terms of if you're holding on to something temporal and trying to bring that into the kingdom or you're holding on to the kingdom and you're trying to bring it down to earth. Mm. Because I think when we begin to classify or get into these culture wars, which the church shouldn't get into, we should no. always maintain the scriptural position um, and bring everybody up to it, the redemptive lift factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get into these culture wars, what you're doing is you're trying to make God man mm. or fit God into a man culture. And then what ends up happening is then you get into a, a, a race baiting and race fights. Well, now, to your point earlier, there are there's race baiters and opportunists mm-hmm. who are waiting to pounce on that to create drama and chaos. So Hispanic culture is not the kingdom culture. Black culture is not kingdom culture. White Anglo-Saxon culture is not kingdom culture. Oh, you're going to get some comments for that one. But... Bring well, them on. Bring well, them on. This is another thing, too. And, and man, I... Again, same thing, and I tell my congregation, and uh, it's, it's been it's been something. But you know, Hispanic is not even a race. Like I can't even yeah. I can't check Hispanic on the census. Yeah. Because yeah. then they want well, what kind of Hispanic are you? Are yeah. you white Hispanic? Are you of uh, African descent? So I'm like, what am I? And I, I'm so I'm confused on that. Colombian, Panamanian, Mexican. Which which what are we talking? Cuban. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. So all of those things are subgroups. Yeah. So Hispanic is not. It's not a ra- it's not it's not considered a race at least on the census and so when I when when you look at that people group it's a it is a true melting pot of peoples right from different continents that come to to live to get converge in one land mass and so 
that's what brings the flavor yeah. within that particular culture or, or people group. Um, so the, the idea to think that everything needs to subscribe to a race, per se, um, is what I heard someone say, and I, I, I want to say it was, uh, it might have been your grandfather, uh, who said this. He said that God is a racist. Um, and I'm not, it may not have been him, but I think, I think it was him. I was at a conference. He said, God is a racist. He loves the human race. And so if you're human, that's, that's what he's interested mm-hmm. in. That's the only race that he considers. And so I, I, I have espoused that in uh, my opinion. There is no, um, the differences are de- definitely, definitely temporal. And those people that are trying to make those differences, you right. know, a source of contention, um, you know, it's ridiculous. Okay. They're working from a temporal frame. They're yeah. working from a frame that is going to eventually die. Yeah. Uh, heaven and earth shall pass away. You know, I mean, these things are going to go away. Um, and if we allow people to stay bound up in it, yeah. they could miss heaven or miss whatever God wants to do through them on well, this earth. Well, here's something that I have been stunned by is the inability of some apostolics to differentiate between white culture and kingdom culture. Hmm. So the MAGA red hat dynamic where people are trying to contend for what they think is the kingdom of God through a political system. (laughs) God's kingdom is not going to come through political means. Right. And it doesn't matter how many Facebook posts that you pay, you post trying to shout that you believe in this and believe in that. My way of influencing my world is not getting on the internet and shouting at people. My way of influencing is to go teach a home Bible study, mm. introduce somebody to Jesus, let them receive the new birth experience, become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, you want to change the world? That's Do it. that. That's it. And 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 they. God's not going to give you a red MAGA hat when you get to heaven. He's going to give you a crown of righteousness and a white robe. And that's the culture and the identity I'm pursuing. Well, Al Tizon writes in his book, Whole and Reconciled, the the difference between Christianity and Christendom, how Christianity was hijacked and became Christendom, which became a political machine. Wow. That's why you'll see evangelicals, you know, standing with political figures. Yeah. That is Christendom. Yeah, that is Christi- a blend, a hybrid, distorted blend of Christianity with politics, and they've left the true message of Christianity, Pentecost. It's for everybody to to create a governmental structure here that's supposed to be Christian-based. We all know, and I don't know why they don't grab it. It's in the world that that's never going to happen. This earth's going to pass away. The governmental structures of this world are going to pass away. And to hold on to culture as a certain, our culture is more superior, all that, is nothing more than just falling into that Christendom lie and that hijacked system that happened way back during the Crusades. Yeah. Conquer under this sign. It was yeah. all political. There was no, he wasn't Christian. Not at all. It was all political. Well, right. e- even going back to the emergence of the original Catholic Church, when they, when they co-opted, they paganized Christianity. Yeah. It's going, it goes all the way back to there, where they, they wanted to unite everybody under one faith. Power. Power. It was a political move. It was not the kingdom of God. So they became the church, the Roman Catholic church built with federal money, and the real church went underground yeah. and kept on having church, having revival, praying people through. So you have these two subgroups now. One is recognized by the state. The other is 
the actual church. Right. And uh, yeah, it's it's been happening from the beginning. There's a story of a pope who uh, th- that unholy alliance between politics and and church. There's a story in the pope of a pope. I think it was. I can't remember his name, but there was the king was King Frederick, and he the pope was fearful he was about to lose his part of the kingdom. And the king was afraid he was going to lose his part of the kingdom. So the pope goes up into the Alps and locks himself up there. And and the king thought, oh, he's about to overthrow me. So he goes up there and sits outside barefooted for three days in the Alps, in snow, knocking on the door of the outer gate to speak to the pope, who was too afraid to open the door because he was afraid it was the armies of, of the king. The king was afraid that inside the thr- inside the room, they're getting ready to have war out there. And what ends up happening is they they end up, the guy sits out there for three days, barefooted, trying to show his his penance to the pope. And the pope's inside terrified. Yeah. And ultimately, they're going to bow to each other. It's the kingdom of God that has to take over that stuff. It has That's to take the, over yeah. that stuff. The only way to do that is through Pentecost. Constantine's the first one to hijack it that way. Yes. Now, any political movement that people mistakenly get misguided into, they think it's the kingdom of God. They think that if they contend for political ideology, that they're somehow doing that. Say that again? People get misguided and pulled into a warped idea of kingdom yes. activity that if you're going to contend for political ideology, somehow you're doing the work of God. You're not. No. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Paul, Paul did not march to make social change. He built churches. Right. right. And even when he was dealing with a, a social issue, which was slavery, and he writes to Philemon and he explains, hey, look, and I understand the situation, with Onesimus, but this is this is what happened. He, he's converted. He's repented. Receive him. But you know, if you if you really want to do it right, you know. But he never made him make that decision. He just he left it on him. Okay, that's a big deal, right there. That's a very big deal because Christianity gets criticized by saying, "Oh, look, they 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 condone slavery." Paul actually addresses servants and masters, and and tells them how to conduct one another. But he never stops and says. Don't do this. Right. And I, the reason, one reason, Paul did not directly address it was because he was not there to stop that slavery. Mm-hmm. He was there to preach the gospel. The gospel. And so the Bible says the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Paul didn't go around cutting off branches. Right. He cut the tree down at the root. Right. And so when he got finished preaching the gospel, they repented of their sins. They were washed in the blood of Jesus and filled with the spirit of Jesus, the nature of Christ comes upon him and slavery is toppled. Definitely. Not because Paul marched, not because he campaigned, but because he preached the gospel. And the nations that Christianity comes to, barbarism disappears. Um, All the wicked things in that civilization disappear. Slavery disappears. It might take 50 years. It might take 100 years, but it will topple. Mm-hmm. The, to that point, the story of Onesimus and Philemon is important because what we do know is that Onesimus has run away. And Paul's like, if he owes you anything, or if he's anything, I'll put it on my charge. Mm. There was about a year and a half ago, uh, maybe two years ago, a, a, a commentary, or they found ancient manuscripts uh, and I don't remember the city, I think it's Ephesus, of the bishop being martyred there. And 
the bishop's name was Onesimus. Really? Yes. He had, the, whatever Paul wrote to Philemon, Philemon in his Christianity not being held to a political or a social structure or a social construct, a cultural construct, he says, forgive him. And if he owes you anything, Paul said, I'll take care of his debt. Mm. He forgives him and doesn't hold him as a slave in the sense of what we would think as a slave. He may came back and served him. We find out later, Onesimus becomes the bishop. That's mind-boggling. And he's murdered because he goes out and preaches. He's martyred. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it is in Ephesus because there's a big march in the streets about Diana. And this 80-year-old bishop walks out there and they stone him. And it was Onesimus. It was on Wow. Well, it raises the hair up on yeah, the back of your neck. It's crazy. So we got to get ready to wrap up. But let me leave you this, this idea. Kingdom culture is the supreme culture. Absolutely. All cultures bow and are subordinate to it. And you got to be humble enough to know where your culture stops and the kingdom culture begins. Some of my greatest times, I have some Indian friends. Um, I'm trying to remember the, the name, the, the, the province they come from. It's running from me. Anyway, they would fix the hottest curries you've ever tasted. I would, I'd go over to the house for Bible study. And I would eat until tears were running down my face. <laughs> and, and then we talk about the Holy Ghost. And, and that's who they were. And it was wonderful. Please don't ever change that. I love right. that. That's, that's awesome. It's a, it's a cultural distinctive. But the kingdom supersedes all of that, me yes. and them. Yeah. So had a young man who, before he fully repented and came to God and, and wound up in ministry and greatly used of God, he shot a woman. She got caught in a crossfire between him and a couple of other young men that were enemies of his. He was living a very, very rough life, volatile life. She gets shot. She was pregnant. Mm. I was with him in court, in federal court, and we were thanking God because the woman didn't die and the baby wasn't lost. Mm. Wow. So it was superficial enough to where they could, they could save her. Well, this young man... Wounds up, he winds up being sentenced to six years in federal prison. And he never opened his mouth. He, he took the charge. Well, his, his uh, immigration papers were not in order. They deported him. It's a long story, but he fully repents. He gives his heart wholly to God, and he starts preaching in the prison, starts baptizing inmates in Jesus' name. Mm. Years have passed. He's calling me and saying, can you give me material? Can you give me books? And I'm, I'm mailing it to them. Actually, you know, I learned this. You can't mail it directly. They won't let you. You have to mail it from the, the clearinghouse. Right, from the uh, yeah. publisher. Yeah. So um, after a few years, he serves a sentence long enough, they feel like that we're going to deport him. And they did. They deported him. Um, he gets deported. He gets to where he's at, and and he starts preaching again. And he raises up a church. And then he starts converting other churches. And it's one of the most unbelievable testimonies. But that's not the most unbelievable part. The pastor of the church, Pastor Randy Williams in Fort Myers, Florida, gets a phone call one day. And it's a woman. And she says, is this the church where so-and-so, the young man, used to attend? And he says, yes, it is. And she says, is it true he's a missionary now? Wow. And he said, yes, it is. And she says, I'm the woman he shot. Wow. 
and I want to support him in missions. No. And she goes to the church and gets the Holy Ghost. Wow. <laughs> now you talk about the kingdom of yes. God. The superiority of God's That's the superiority of the kingdom culture. Redemptive. Redemptive. That's powerful. So she becomes a mission supporter. Onesimus dies because Paul says, lay it upon my charge. Yeah. Mm. Wow. <laughs> it's the will of God. Mm. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for your time, guys. Yes. I This has been a good conversation. I'm excited to see what God is going to do in, in the Pentecostals of Durham. Yeah. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do in Memphis. Yes, sir. What TVC? TVC Memphis. Yes, sir. Tabernáculo de Vida Cristiana. Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to see what's going to happen. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for the invite. Appreciate it.